John 20, verse 21 and 22 states, this is Jesus Christ speaking, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. Well, dear ones, I'd like to greet you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Can I share? I think that there is no lovelier sound than to hear you singing. I love it when I can hear you worshiping the Lord. We're going to be taking the Lord's Supper, partaking of it together. You see, many of us inside this room here, we've heard teachings and preaching on the incarnational aspect of our Lord's ministry, that Jesus Christ came as God in flesh to be with people, in fact, to be with us, that as he walked this earth, he told his disciples that his mission really was to go forth and to seek and to save that which was lost. And so because of this, one of the things that I recognize very quickly is this, is that Jesus Christ, he never set up a camp in a temple in Jerusalem, nor did he ever build a ministry around a physical location. But instead, Jesus Christ, he went forth to love the masses. He went to the lost, loving them, as well as serving them. You see, many of us, we've heard this presented to us as a challenge that we ourselves, that we need to be going forth the way that Jesus Christ did. Well, during the Advent season, a custom for me is to come along and to take some time reflecting upon the Incarnation, to prepare myself for the celebration that marks the moment in history when God's love for us is made most clearly manifest when He assumed flesh. It astounds me, thinking about God, who is beyond all and in no need of our love, freely choosing to enter into the very stuff of creation, to become like one of us in flesh. And I thought to myself, why would he even do something like that? And simply put, the Bible tells me, because he who is God, who created us in love, he chooses to redeem us in love. And as I began planning for this chapel service, I had many different ideas as to what I wanted to share, had different ideas as to what I wanted to do. But I felt that God would be pleased if we would partake of communion together as a Christian family. And then for me to share some elements of what it really means to be serving the Lord in ministry. You see, the element of bread, I believe, it points us to the incarnation, reminding us that ministry needs to be incarnational. And as I began thinking about that thought, I began to realize that incarnational ministry will probably involve at least four different things. First of all, it's going to involve loving. At the heart of being incarnational is simply loving people just as Jesus Christ loved people, loving enough to go to where they are, to build a relationship with them, to do fellowship with them. You see, Jesus Christ came to be physically, he came physically to be with humankind and to reach us with the Father's love. He was out among the people. He was going to their parties. He was reaching out to them with deep affection. In fact, Jesus Christ socialized with people to whom the religious leaders of his day would have nothing to do with at all. Now, you need to recognize that, first of all, Jesus Christ, he did minister to those who were labeled acceptable, those who were well off. Then he ministered to the physically healthy, the middle-class soldiers, the up-and-rising stars of society, the educated teachers. Now, the reason I come along and include that little thought in my homily is because when I was a missionary, I kept hearing phrases that would go something like this. We need to go to and reach those who are poor. We need to reach the outcasts of society. 
In fact, sometimes I would hear phrases like this, we need to go to the black Africans or we need to go to the yellow Chinese, but I never heard the other, that we need to go to the white people. You need it more than I do, I think. <laughs> well, I recognize that this is true. That dear ones, that there are, that those who are poor, those are in, uh, these people need to hear the message of Jesus Christ. That those who are poor and those that are not destitute and those who are not outcasts, you need to understand something. Even white people, yellow people, red people, purple people, polka dotted people, we all need the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the point which I'm making is this, is that Jesus Christ, he came to minister to those who were considered to be acceptable, but you also need to realize, yes, I recognize he came to minister to those that were also considered unacceptable. In fact, the Bible comes along and tells me that Jesus Christ, he was a friend of sinners. And so, yes, Jesus Christ, he did associate with the poor. He did associate with tax collectors. He did associate with prostitutes and the diseased and the ceremonially unclean, the down and outers of society, the uneducated, or as someone else put it this way, that Jesus Christ, he was willing to come into this world to come and minister and reach out to the dirt of society. And because of this, the religious leaders of his day, they despised him. They called him names, names uh, like glutton or a wine-bibber. Some came along and stated that he was demon-possessed. Other people stated that he was totally crazy. Other people stated that he was insane. Socializing with these unacceptable ones ruined Christ's testimony before the religious leaders, ruining his chances of ever being elected to be on the Temple Local Board of Administration. And as I thought about this, I realized that if you and I, if we're going to reach in the same manner as our Lord Jesus Christ, we may also be misunderstood. We may also be maligned. We may also have individuals who will come and call us names. You see, so often what tends to happen is that when we serve the Lord Jesus Christ, we assume that we're going to be loved by everyone all the time. But you need to know something, that is not reality. Now, when one is serving the Lord Jesus Christ, there are going to be times in which we're going to be despised. There are going to be times in which we're going to be misunderstood, times in which we're going to be criticized, sometimes that people are going to come and avoid us, times when people will gossip about us. In fact, times that people may even spat upon us, even by those who claim to be spiritual and in love with God. In fact, if Jesus Christ came in our day, he would probably be just as misunderstood by some Christians today as he was by the Jewish leaders of his day. And so incarnational ministry in, involves loving, which includes being willing to live out this love in the context of where people are. In fact, you know what we're talking about? It's coming along and stating that if I truly understand incarnational ministry, I am willing to come along and I'm willing to rub shoulders with people. Man, just rubbing shoulders. Have you ever seen cats? <laughs> That's what cats do. They rub shoulders with each other. You're a ham. And so as we associate with one another, we need to not act as though we are contaminated with other people, that they are not contaminated with deadly germs. Some try to protect themselves from being contaminated by the world by building a cocoon around themselves. You see, when I was attending Mount Vernon Elementary School, we had a game that we would play in which we would touch someone and come along and say, guess what? You got cooties. How many of you ever played that game? Raise your hand. Shame on you. 
Well, you need to know, I used to play that game. And so no one would ever, those individuals, no one ever really wanted to have cooties at all. And so we would come along, and we came along with a way of defending ourselves. And so when someone would touch us and claim that, that, hey, I just gave you cooties, we could hold out our hands, revealing the handwritten initials, CP, which means not me, because I am CP, because I am cootie protected. I want you to know. I have CP on my hands. If you try to give me cooties today, I want you to know I am cootie protected. (laughs) Or let me put it this way. One of the things I recognize is the fact that we may not intentionally do this, but how would you feel if every time I came and I happened to touch you, that I would have a bottle of sanitizer on me? And so as an example, I would come and shake your hand. Oh, I just got contaminated. Oh, man, yuck. Mm, I want to minister to you, but I want you to know you just gave me some deadly germs. If I happen to pass by her by accident and just kind of rub her, oh, I just got contaminated. I need more sanitizer. How many of you would like that? But the reality is this is that sometimes that's what we do. We come along and we try to protect ourselves. I think Christians are sometimes that way around people who God wants us to minister to. We seek to avoid all contact with them, acting as though that they have cooties. And to be transparent, I feel that too many Christian gatherings, they, they almost in a sense resemble the isolating Christian huddle. Well, people that get in their huddle, and as they get into the cuddle, that what happens when other people try to get in, we push them away. Now, I can understand not wanting to be influenced by the bad things of the world, things that are displeasing to God. But I believe that we truly need to always be readjusting our thinking and realize that as Christians, we can be used by God to influence others in a positive and in a good way. Jesus Christ, he came along and said that as Christians, we are to be salt, we are to be light, that we are to live godly lives in a context that God sends us and plants us. Whoa, that looks pretty cool. God does not call us as believers to isolate, but he calls us to infiltrate, to be incarnational, to be in the world, to be in the world, but not of the world, that we are called to engage and penetrate the world, spreading the love of God. And so listen to the prayer of Christ to the Father. He says, I do not pray that you take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth, because your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. It's as if we think that we have to wrap ourselves up so that we do not get soiled. But the reality is this, is that when you come along and live in a cocoon, there are at least two things that happen. That the first thing that happens is that you become blind. You can't see God, but you can't really see the people that God wants you to minister to. So you two that are up there in a cocoon, can you see the people out there? (laughs) The other thing that it does is that, yes, number one, it blinds us. Blinds us to God, but it also blinds us to people that are in need. But the second thing it does is that it binds us. And that what happens is that no longer can we use our feet and our hands to go forth to serve the Lord Jesus Christ in the way that he wants us to be serving. And so this is what I contend, dear ones, that if I read the gospel of Jesus Christ correctly, it tells us that those of us that want to live in a cocoon, that that is wrong, but instead we should be individuals that want to break out of the cocoon. Can you break out of it? 
Yeah, that was cool. <laughs> that was a great illustration, Jim. <laughs> and so loving, incarnational ministry, it includes listening as well and learning. As a former missionary, I love missionary stories. The Matalones of Latin America frightened many people. They were considered to be cruel thieves and killers. Someone who had met them once said, we found them extremely hostile. Although we gave them presents and we tried to be kind to them, they were still cruel and mean to us. Well, one day, Bruce Olson, a missionary, arrived onto the scene. During his first five years with these people, Olson did nothing but live among them on their terms. He listened to them. He learned their language. He sought to understand them and their culture. And by doing so, he gained their trust. And they gradually learned to see him as one of them. Only when that happened were they willing to learn and to accept what he had to share. And what was the result? The result that many of them, many from this tribe, came to know Jesus Christ as their own personal Savior. You see, what Olson was practicing was the spirit of Jesus Christ, of loving others, which included living with them, listening and learning from them. Incarnational ministry also involves the lowering of oneself, of serving others with an attitude of humility. It is willing to step off the pedestal so that Christ can be on the pedestal. It is saying that I'm willing to get out of the spotlight so that God himself can be in the spotlight. One of my favorite definitions for evangelism goes like this. It's one beggar showing another beggar where he or she has found food. And so four elements of incarnational ministry, loving as Christ loves, living out their faith where people live, listening and learning from those we go forth to serve, and a willingness to lower ourselves to serve God and approach to those we seek to serve with humble hearts. And so John 20 then reveals a truth that I have often overlooked. When I read verse 21, I have had a tendency to focus on the words of Jesus Christ, which states, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And then I skim over the words that follow. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Well, dear one, successful incarnational ministry has to have the infilling of God's Spirit. I love that truth. That before you and I can effectively go and serve and witness for Jesus Christ, we truly need to have the breath of God. You see, Jesus' words remind me of the African pastor who, after reading John chapter 20, proceeded to walk around the tiny, small, cement block church that he was a part of, and he began to blow onto the people. The first time I saw that, I thought, man, this pastor really is kind of hokey. But at the same time, inside I thought, that was pretty cool because after all these years, you know what I remember? I remember this pastor going around. And as he went around, he would come along and he would say, Umpefamulo, Luca Kulungulu. Isn't that cool? Umoyo oyinquele, gikwaliswa. Umpefamulo, Luca Kulungulu. Aren't you glad I used breast freshener? <laughs> well, the second element of communion is wine. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8, draws an analogy of wine symbolizing the Holy Spirit. In fact, in the gospel, Jesus Christ describes the new work of God conveyed by the ministry of the Spirit as new wine being poured into old vessels. And so ministry that is infilled by the Spirit of God, it will be powerful. 
In the many years that I've been involved in ministry, I have had to continually remind myself that it is not my incarnation, but the work of the Spirit that makes Christ present in me and beyond me that is important. That if I find any success in ministry, it is because of the work of the Holy Spirit working in and through me. The first verse that I memorized, it was not John 3.16, as many individuals that accept Jesus Christ that they memorize first. But the first verse that I ever memorized was found in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you shall receive power, after which the Holy Ghost shall be upon you. And ye shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem, and Judea, and Samaria, and unto the uttermost parts of the world. Dear ones, this is what I believe, that we as Christians, we do not appropriate the power of the Holy Spirit enough. Charles Carter, who taught missions here for many years, wrote, The recognized inadequacy of man will be met only when the adequacy of God's power through the Spirit is recognized and appropriated. You see, I used to fear talking and preaching and teaching about the Holy Spirit. The reason being is that he sounded spooky to me, especially when I first heard about him. He was referred to as being the Holy Ghost. But I have since learned that we need not fear the Spirit of God. The second thing about the infilling of God's Holy Spirit in ministry is this, is that it will always remind us that we need to be pointing to Jesus Christ. That the point, the attention should never be on any one of us at all. You're coming along and probably asking a question. You can turn that off up there. You're probably asking a question, why a message like this? Well, the reason being is that there are some of you, first of all, that are going to be graduating from here. There are some of you that are going to be leaving this next semester for whatever reason, even though you haven't graduated. What you have to understand is that in some ways I see this as maybe your opportunity of moving into a brand new context where you are able to contextualize, you're able to incarnate, you're able to come along and be Jesus Christ to individuals that you're going to be coming in contact with, individuals you're going to be working with, individuals you're going to be living with, individuals you're going to be socializing with. And so, dear ones, will you do me a favor? If you're going to be graduating from this university in the next few days, or if you're going to be leaving this university, again, for whatever reason, even though you have not yet graduated, will you do me a favor and stand up and give us the opportunity of praying a blessing over you? Will you do me a favor? Those that are seated around those individuals that have just stood up, will you do me a favor that are around them? Will you stand up and go to those individuals and will you lay your hands upon them as I say a prayer? And let's pray. Well, dear Father, we thank you for these who will be graduating who will be leaving us in the next few days. We pray that you will continue to give them direction and purpose and perseverance as they enter into the next phase of this journey that we call life. Give them clearness of mind to move forward into the plans and purposes that you have for them. May these, your beloved, gain wisdom from you. Raise up Christian mentors for them so that they will have someone who will hold them accountable in regards to the different areas of their lives. I pray that they will have the boldness to stand up for what is right wherever they work or continue to study at. Give them wisdom to live their lives wisely. In anxiety, give them a sense of calm. In frustration, give them a sense of perspective. 
In fear, give them your peace. As they write resumes, guide their hands. As they interview, guide their words. As they prepare to move, open the way for them to have safe traveling mercies. Grant them success for their efforts at every turn and guide their feet to follow your ways. May they be eager to do good and not evil all the days of their lives. Use them in mighty ways to bring glory to your name. And in Jesus' name, we all said, amen. You may be seated. As you're being seated, let me just continue on. In a few days' time, this campus also closes down. And so in a way, most of us are going to be gently pushed outwards. Well, I believe that the reason we're being pushed outwards is not just to go and celebrate Christmas. But I believe that God wants us to go forth to be ministers, to be servants, who come along and are understanding the importance of incarnate ministry and understanding then the importance of being filled with the Spirit of God. You see, our hope is that when you leave here during the Christmas season, that God will send individuals your way so that you can minister to those individuals. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 27 and 28 are these words. Whoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord shall first examine him or herself. And so what we're going to do is that before we partake of the Lord's Supper today, we're going to dim As we dim the lights, we're going to ask that you spend a few moments asking the Spirit to search your hearts and for you to search your hearts. And if there's anything there that should not be there, confess it to the Lord and release it. And then after a few moments of searching in silence, then we will partake of the Lord's Supper with each other. And so will you spend time in solitude and quietness in the presence of God. I think that uh, um, for most of my life, I didn't, I didn't get communion because I was in a cocoon. And for me, it was really weird because I was a student here. And the thing was is I, I got to IWU by saying the right words, but the cocoon was I didn't really know Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. And I, I don't know who's here right now or what your cocoon is, but I would pray that if it's your cocoon, um, like it was mine, that, that you've never embraced what the sacrament is because you really don't know him as Savior, then maybe this moment um, is where yours comes off. We're going to take communion together, but the cocoon needs to be off. And the communion will be open to all that, that rip it off. You know the story as Christ was with his disciples. These are the words. He took the bread and he gave thanks. And he broke it. And he said, take, eat. This is my body which is given for you, and do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, and he gave thanks for it. He said, drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood, 
the new covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this whenever you drink it and remember me. Um, I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to invite any who choose to come. Um, we know that some of you have different allergies and things like that. And on this side and this side, there's some gluten-free elements. And, and there's also uh, um, stations around here after you're, you're done with sanitizer before or after either way. But I pray that this moment can be a ripping off of some of this because that's what it can be. That's what it can be. Father, I pray that as we receive this sacrament, we do it in remembrance of you. The body that was broken, yours. The blood that was shed, that eternal life, yours. And that we remember you in this moment and your love for us and the life we can have because of it. In your name I pray, amen. And what we just did in communion, there's a, an ending piece of it, is now we go forth with this release from us. That's what happens. We go forth in that relationship with Jesus Christ, and it's our lives that point back to him by the way we live, the way we act. If we use words, that's necessary, but it's who we are. And so go forth. Leave this chapel in that relationship and that joy of Jesus Christ. We love you guys. Drive safe, sleep have a good finals week. All right? We'll see you next week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. You are dismissed.